I love this bow saw. I've had it for years. It's just a little pruning saw. It's amazing what I can get done with this. Just getting up in those little branches. And has any other blokes here that if you get out and start pruning, it's like you're meant to do it, you're meant to do it, you're meant to do it. You put it off, you put it off. But once you start cutting, you can't stop. It's just like, oh, and that branch too. Oh, this saw's cutting real good. Like, And then you get to this. I wore my stylish glasses. My these are my everyday sunglasses. I wear safety glasses every day because they're only twenty bucks. They're flexible, and most of mine end up slammed in the door of the Ute anyway. So these ones last longer. Then you've got these. Now, it's a tidy, tiny, don't laugh at my chainsaw. Don't laugh at the size of my saw. But I tell you what, when I get this thing cranking, I really find it hard to stop. It's like, and then it's like, ooh, that one, I reckon I just about reached that one. And you drop that. Who else has done this? And then all of a sudden you realise you've got six ute loads of branches. It's amazing... It's amazing how the right tools motivate you to get into it. It's amazing. You can set yourself up for a win. Um, Wearing gloves is definitely setting yourself up for a win, by the way, too. And safety glasses. And, you know, I wasn't going to put all that on, but then I thought I'd be irresponsible if I mimicked doing that without some safety, some PPE, personal protective equipment whatsoever. So there we go. You can set yourself up. I love it. I love my shed. You can ask Sue. I just spent like a week getting my shed in order and I just love it. Just everything's in order. Everything's where I know it is. I love getting set up for a win. And we are in the launching tonight, the Set for Life series. And this is about getting prepared for a win. This is about setting yourself up, positioning yourself with the right tools to do life well. Because the fact is, you know, some, some people don't position themselves well. They don't set themselves up well. Whether it's in the area of relationships or finances or their health, whatever it might be, they don't set themselves up for a win and then they don't get the win that they want. Because I don't think any of us dream of a life that sucks. You know what I mean? And yet I, at times I look around and I see a lot of people that are suffering the consequences of having not set themselves up in a better way in an earlier season of life. There was a particular season and they didn't make good decisions. They didn't have the right mindsets. They they didn't carry the right attitudes or whatever it was. They made decisions that then they had to pay for for a long time trying to get their life back on track. And so this series is going to just look at some common areas that, that we really, if we want to live well and we want to live the life that God's given to us well, then we need to get a win in some of these areas. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. And, um, and of course, uh, uh, I said this morning, and if, if you weren't here this morning, it's worth probably listening to the podcast, because this is a little bit of a continuation. It's a standalone message, but it, it sort of cu- continues on from this morning a bit. But we love choice. Have you ever noticed that? As human beings, 
We love options. We love getting our own way. We love it. We crave it. We argue about it. We fight over it. We, the, the, that is the fact. We want our own way. And major corporations have made their whole businesses global on this concept, on the ability to deliver to the customer what they want when they want it. You know, if, if you, you know, think about this from, from Netflix to Spotify to drive through barista coffee, it's all become global sensation for one reason. You get what you want when you want it. What's the old saying? I want what I want and I want it now. And, you know, the fact is when it comes to Netflix or Barista Coffee or Spotify or whatever, that might not, they're not the critical issues of life necessarily. You know, I I don't think they're evil in themselves or anything else, but that philosophy, when it comes to the more critical issues and the bigger issues of life, will not serve us well. I want what I want and I want it now is generally the reason people end up paying for things for the rest of their lives, whether that's debt or whether that's relational turmoil or whatever that might be. That concept does not serve us well and so tonight I sort of I want to look at a better way so my title of my message is whose life is this anyway whose life is this anyway the life I'm living the life you're living particularly tonight if you're a person of faith but if you're not then it's going to introduce some concepts to you about maybe how to do life well Whose life is this anyway? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. And the Apostle Paul says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We hate that. As human beings, our natural thought and our natural propensity towards wanting what we want hates the thought that we don't even belong to ourselves. And then Paul explains why. For you were bought with a price. He's, he's obviously talking about the price that Jesus paid on the cross on our behalf. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. In other words, all of your life on the inside and on the outside, glorify God. Uh, Jesus echoes this thought, or this thought echoes Jesus when Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 10, he said, in teaching us how to pray, you know, this is a very short prayer, it's only about 19 seconds long in English, but this is in response to his disciples saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. They'd been observing him pray, they'd been seeing him get answers to prayer. And so they wanted to know, how do we pray effectively? How do we talk to God in such a way that heaven touches earth and and we see the things that you're seeing? And interestingly, Jesus said, well, that's the way you need to pray, that heaven touches earth. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, make seeing God's plan unfold your priority. See, we are so interested 
And we are groomed this way by a multi-billion dollar marketing industry. We are groomed to want what we want and to get it now. And Jesus, what he's saying is so contrary to natural human nature. He's actually saying your priority, the yearning of your heart, when you pray, you should naturally have a posture that is, Lord, what do you want to do? I want to see what you want to do here in front of me. Not what I want, but what you want. Your kingdom come, your will be done. If we're honest, I mean, how many of our prayers sound like, Lord, my will be done? I pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and, and yet that's just not the way Jesus taught us to pray. He said, hang on, you've got you've to prioritize a greater purpose. A greater purpose. Now, I've got no doubt when Jesus taught this way, he wanted them to experience all there was to experience of life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that he came, the last part of the verse, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So Jesus isn't trying in any way to remove life from us or the experience of life. He's trying to teach us how to get there. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And so often, as I said, most people that I see that are suffering from earlier seasons in their life, they did not make decisions intentionally to derail themselves. They thought it was a good idea at the time. Come on, if we're honest, who's ever had one of those moments? Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but now I'm still paying for it. There is a way that seems right. So when Jesus says put God's purposes first, he's actually showing us the way toward living the kind of abundant life that we all crave that we all desire and I love the fact that he he wants to speak to us and reveal his purpose but it's it's more than that it's more than just a spiritual thing or it's more than just connected to what he wants to do in the earth it's connected to what he wants you to experience in the earth it's not always necessarily spiritual. I love this about God. You know, the, the key is you've got to put him first. Jesus said that you seek first the kingdom and all these things, things. Actually, another passage in one of the parallel passages, it says things that the pagans desire to run after. In other words, it's not saying spiritual things. It's saying everything that this world seems to want, God will add that to you if you just put him first. Yeah, good. Good. Sue and I had a... I, I could tell you the tale really quickly of the, the tale of four houses. Do you want to hear the tale of four houses? Four, four, first four houses that we owned. Uh, when we were first married, you know, back in 1990. 90. Back in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for finishing my sentence darling I can't believe you doubted it's only been 29 years I can't believe you thought I'd forget anyway back in 1990 and, and we paid rent for the sum total of six weeks before I realized that was a bummer now before that I was really spiritual it was like are oh, we just going to serve Jesus and owning a house and all that stuff that's just unspiritual that's just wanting material things blah 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 after handing my whole pay packet over every second week to someone else 
I decided, no, owning a home is just good stewardship. It's, it's, it's not materialism, it's just brains. And so uh, we planned that and like three months later we had planned, designed and because a friend was moving to America who was building it, he got the thing completed in three months. Three months after we decided we were going we to do it, we moved into our own brand new home. Uh, and uh, we lived there for three years and served Jesus and then got the call to go to Crow's Nest. And so we sold that house, and in that three years, and we had been paying 13.5% interest, they were the days, and uh, we moved to Crow's Nest with $40,000 in our pockets that we didn't start with. Just in that three years, we got all of the money that we'd put in against the loan, plus I think about another $17,000 that was just sheer profit from owning a home for three years. That was a pretty good deal, wasn't it? And we went to Crow's Nest to serve Jesus. And I I really felt like God spoke to my heart uh, because a lot of young couples would go to a town like that and then they'd be gone 12 months later. It was just a stepping stone for them. And the town sort of thought that way, felt that way. And so I felt like we should build a new home in Crow's Nest. Now, that was investment. That was just a bad deal. That was an investment bad decision, but to me it was a God decision. We needed to invest and show the town that we were here to stay as a young married couple. So we bought a, built a brand new home in Crow's Nest. And uh, the builder had moved back from America by then, same guy built that home. And so we built that home and we lived there for six and a half, seven years. And then when we moved on, we made the number one mistake in real estate. We bought before we sold. So a house came up in Toowoomba and we bought a house because it looked like a really good deal and it was a good deal and we bought that and we hadn't sold Crow's Nest. It took us nearly 12 months to sell Crow's Nest. We didn't put renters in it because we didn't want to uh, get the house messed up in any way. We thought we want it pristine, we want to be able to sell it. And, um, and we got down to like two weeks before we were broke and we lost both houses when the, the place finally sold. We had to, to sell it as cheap as we could just to get out of it. And the $40,000 we'd made, married, made as a young couple 10 years before were now gone. And we're thinking, God, we're trying to do your will and we seem to be going backwards. Who's ever been there? This doesn't seem to be working. We're just trying to follow you, follow our nose. And so we were in this house in, in Toowoomba and, uh, and finally we got free of the other home and we're just, right, let's just survive here. But we were on an acre and a half. I was pastoring the church here. It takes six hours in summertime to cut an acre and a half of Kaikuya with a ride-on mower, a push mower and a whippersnipper to do all the garden beds. It was taking me like six hours every second weekend. So I just didn't have the time to do that. And so we sold and we made our $40,000 back. But it was, it was 10 years later. It was a little bit like, thank you, God, but, you know, the original 40 be worth a lot more by now. Um, and then we were looking for another home. It's like, great, we've got that out of the way, but we want to buy another home and move in without having to rent a house. Okay. Are you bored yet? No? Okay. And so, um, and so we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, and, of course, we, we got a two-month settlement. So that gave us a month to find a house. But the Toowoomba house market had just done that. For anyone who remembers 17 years ago, it had just done that. It had gone ballistic. And, um, 
And so finding a house was incredible. Houses were getting, you know, they were getting offers above the asking price. Uh, and we looked at many houses. I was just like, honey, let's just buy anything. We've got to get back in the market. The market's going past us. We're get, this is going to have been a big, big mistake. And, um, and Sue, thankfully, it was Sue's faith. It was like, we'd look at houses. She'd be like, nah, that's not the one. We'd look at houses, nah, that's not the one. I'd beg her, come on, this has got to be the one. Surely this is the one. We've got to get back in. We got to literally two days before we had to buy. Otherwise, we'd have to rent. and We'd have to do a double move, all of that stuff. And we got to two days. And, and the Christian house salesman that was working for us said, I found I found it. Because this guy kept saying, you, most of you know Pat Casey, he kept saying, no, um, uh, that's not the one. No, there's, God's got something better. I'm like, I don't care what God's got. I just, <laughs> just get me a house and I need to get in the market. Anyway, he rings us up. I think this could be the one. It wasn't even his agency. So then he made half the, the commission on the sale. But he said, I think this could be the one. Took us around. We couldn't believe it. And we walked. I walked from the front door to the back door, just through the lounge room and past the kitchen. That's all I saw of the house. And I said to Sue, this is it. Let's buy it right now. Sue said, do you think we could look at the bedrooms first? And so, you know, we had three little kids. But long story short, that thing went to seven offers on that house in a market where everyone was offering more than what the house was up for sale for. Um, It was a little, just a tad past what we wanted to spend, but we knew it was value. And so we actually offered them what they asked. The principal salesman, which actually from uh, from, uh, Peter Snow, was uh, David Snow, he said, I, I could not believe it. I told all my clients that an offer will not get this house. And everyone submitted an offer except for you guys. You were the only ones willing to pay them what they were asking. I told them it was cheap. I told them they were selling under market. I told them that they could hang out for more. And you're the only ones who offered them what they wanted. The house that we sit in now is worth several times or more what it was when we bought. And I've never complained to God about the $40,000 since. Yeah. But you know, it's at times like that where I think God is interested in every detail of our life. If we will just trust him. God can make up lost ground like that. If you will just trust him. If you'll just get in a flow of believing that, God, I want to see your purposes before I have to see my purposes. I don't want to get that wrong. I want to seek first the kingdom and then these things can be added to me later on. So now, you know, that house, we paid what we paid for that. You can't find any kind of house in any neighbourhood anywhere in Toowoomba for that now. And yet we've got range valley views and two storeys and looking out, we've got a beautiful big back deck that looks over the trees. We look down into the Lockyer Valley every morning when we wake up on the range escarpment for less than what you could get, the smallest, tiniest, little old run-down home at the back of Harlexton somewhere. God's good when you, when you listen. He's good all the time, but when you listen, you can actually get into a flow of what he wants to do in your life. Listen, if God wants to speak to us that clearly, if he is so interested, then how on earth do we complicate it? How do we complicate it? How do we complicate our lives? I'll give us some reasons, some quick reasons, and then I'm going to finish, okay? Here's some ways that we complicate the will of God. We get frustrated God's not working fast enough. Who's ever been there? 
frustrated God's not working fast enough for us. James 4, uh, verse 2 through 4, you desire... Now, listen, this is pretty savage, what James says. He's noted as being pretty edgy sort of a guy. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill to get what you want. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, he's saying you're doing all of this in the strength of your own hand. When you ask, if you get to prayer, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, the opposite to seek first the kingdom. And then he says, you adulterous people, uh, that's pretty savage language. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or it means a fight against God therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God now this is pretty crazy like the picture that James is painting is one of struggle it's like it's the opposite of set for life this rather looks like I'm fighting against life and no matter how hard I push I can't get what I want when I want it and James gives some reasons Why? You know, misguided affections. If we do pray, then it's with the wrong motive, with the wrong thinking. And then he calls, says, actually, this is adulterous thinking, which is a is like a Jewish reference. That's a that's a Hebrew thing, because the Ten Commandments. You know, we look at them Ten Commandments, and we we just look at them in isolation. But they're actually part of a Jewish marriage covenant. That's what the Ten Commandments are. They're called the Ketubah. And they're actually this agreement that would be made between two families when two people were being, were being married. And that's literally what God gave the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Here's, like, here's the agreement. Being married to one another, it's going to look like this. And what James is referring to when he says you adulterous people, it's like you've, you've actually left your husband and you're sleeping with the world when you think this way. When you think it's about you, when you think that this is about your pleasure, you've actually, you've forgotten what it is to not be your own. You've forgotten what it is to be bought with a price for a special purpose. You guys okay? I know this is pretty heavy. But, but I think this is often where people, where it's like good people, you know, I'm not talking bad people, good people really mess up bad. Because it's this God's just not working fast enough for me, so I've got to take matters into my own hand. This is now about me. When it was never meant to be about us. Thinking the world's way in relationships, inappropriate behaviour. In finances, cheating or evading tax or gambling or, you know, the myriad of temptations that are out there to shortcut your future. Emotions, depending on substances. These are all ways that we we jump the queue to get what we want. And we we think there's life in it. We we think there's going to be a payoff and it ends up ripping us off. There's a better way. Here's another thought is is when we're self-willed so we God's not moving fast enough for us and and we become self-willed we'll do it our will uh, our way you know so every year every year we do a relationship series and we're just going to do a couple of weeks this week uh, this year in this series on relationships 
But we do it every year. And, and I think those principles we teach are good, solid principles. There's many couples in the life of the church that have followed those principles, built great, healthy, wonderful relationships and are enjoying the fruit of those kind of godly, healthy relationships. Uh, but every year, uh, without fail, someone chooses not to go that way. Uh, chooses to do it their own way, chooses to take things into their own hands. And then generally, this is the, you know, because everyone's okay to do that. Like, it's, it's your choice. You know, the Bible says choose life. But God does present life and death. There's a way that leads to death. There's a way that leads to life. Your choice. So God gives people the choice. And, but the crazy thing is, what doesn't make sense is sometimes I see people that have made that kind of poor quality decision paying the price and while they're paying the price with a substandard experience in their relationship they're blaming God that God doesn't work and it's like uh, he does but maybe you need to do it his way do it his way Uh, And then there's discontent. These are all the ways that we miss it. I mean, God wants to speak to us clearly, not just about spiritual things, but about our lives, about unfolding his purpose in our lives. But these are the things that that we complicate it with this stuff. We complicate it with with stuff like being self-willed or frustrated and, and launching prematurely into things. And the third thing is discontent. When we get discontent with where we're at, who's ever been discontent? We've all been discontent. Some, who's had to wait too long for their dinner? That's what you call discontent, you know. But that, that's not a bad one. It's not like we're not starving, not in Australia anyway, you know. Um, but you can get that kind of a feeling about life, can't you? It's like, I'm just discontent. Like, it's just not coming together. It, it's just not working and just feel like there's got to be more and there's got to be, and I've got to get it and I've got to get it now. I'm discontent. And yet that discontent can drive us to really overcomplicate things. Um, for example, just a couple of examples. What is it with people go, running off to find themselves? What the hell is that? Honestly. What is that? I've got to go find myself. It's like, flip, mate, you're standing there. <laughs> like, it's not that hard to work out. You know, if you're talking to me and saying that, you're not actually lost. I can find you by just doing that. <laughs> and yet people, people feel like if, if I could just be somewhere else than where I am, everything would be better. And they forget that they take them with them. They take the discontent with them. Whereas Jesus said, if someone says to you, the kingdom of God is over here or over there. Can I put it this way. Utopia that you seek. If someone says the utopia you seek is over there or over here, don't believe them. Because the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you can't get it together on the inside where you are, don't bother taking you anywhere else. Because the discontent that's in you will be in you no matter where you are. 
Ever been on a holiday that didn't deliver? It just didn't deliver? It's generally not the holiday. It's generally what's going on inside you. And, and I've seen it. I've seen people go off. Twombers the hole. We've got to get out of here. The whole grass is greener syndrome. And man, I've seen a lot of people go to a lot of expense and spend a lot of their life to work out the truism that it's simply greener where you water it. See, people go off looking for the big thing somewhere. Oh, it's going to be so different in Brisbane. Oh, it's going to be so different at the coast. Oh, it's going to be so different in Sydney or wherever. And end up back where they started five years later, just having spent a lot of money working out that um, finding yourself, finding yourself somewhere else ain't going to happen. Finding contentment somewhere else ain't going to happen. If, if it can't happen on the inside, it ain't going to happen nowhere. But see, we, we complicate. And, and you even have people tell you, I really believe the Lord's leading me, but I don't know where he's taking me to. I'm just going. I'm just flying away, flitting away. It's like, man, you, you know, have you prayed about that? Or did you just see a website or read a blog or that made you think that's where I'm going to find it? So don't complicate it. God's got life for you right where you are. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 16, verse 26, and and I've only got one more scripture after this. Stick with me. And the writer, Dr. Luke, says about God, he has made from one blood... Every nation to dwell on the face of the earth, all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Wow. You know what that makes me think? How happy are you with where God's put you? You know, before you decide that you're going to go find yourself somewhere else, what if God's actually put you here? You know, it's okay to move. That, that's cool. All I'm saying is just make sure God's in that. And, and like I said this morning, don't make it the kind of decision that you pray about it after you've made the decision. I really feel I need a new car. Better pray about that. Now, nah, every time I look at the brochure, man, the Holy Spirit's saying, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you can't get a good decision like that. Man, you, you're not, don't run off and find it here or there. God's got it for you right where you are. In uh, Philippians, this is the last, last scripture, and then I'll just ask a couple of questions. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, the message, paraphrase. And this is the Apostle Paul. And we knew he'd been through thick and thin to the ends of the earth. He said, actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstance. And now hang on a sec. This is the guy that's writing letters from jail. And it's not because he got away with some money, stuck his finger in the till or anything else. It's because he's a believer. And he's saying, actually, I, I don't really need anything personally. Uh, I've learned how to be quite content, whatever the circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. 
I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry. Hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Other versions say simply, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we, we like to apply that to stuff like, I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I can, I can be amazing. And yes, you can. But actually the context, the original context is contentment. <laughs> He's actually saying, you know what? Jesus can make you content even if your circumstances suck. You can find a contentment on the inside that the world doesn't know. Paul learned to be content. And this is my thought. Because he could be content, he could be still. And when we talked about discontent, you know, when when you're hungry, have you ever noticed that when you're hungry, it's hard to sit still? When you're discontent, you tend to be like this. When's Mac is going to open? Come on. But you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not content. I'm not content. I'm, don't tell me to sit down and just be quiet and be happy because I don't feel happy, okay? Yeah. But Paul had learned to be content. When you learn to be content, you learn to be still. And when you're still, you can actually hear. Some people don't get the will of God in their life. They, they miss it. Because there's just so much noise going on on the inside because they've never learned to be content. What I'm sharing with you tonight, you know, when I thought about the Set for Life series, this whole concept of hearing from heaven and putting God's will first, it is the cornerstone of everything's to follow. When I thought about it, and I've got all my topics written out, outlined, the things I want to speak on. But when I thought about it, it was like, what is the single most important principle that will undergird everything I say about relationships and your mental health and finances and everywhere else we're going to go in this next little while? What is the one thing that it all depends upon? And I come back to this, simply your ability to be still and hear from heaven concerning your life. If you can get that down, the rest is going to flow. And through the ups and downs, and even when it doesn't seem to be work, when houses don't sell the way they should, and when money doesn't come in the way it should, or the way that you thought it would, or whatever, you'll be okay. You'll find a place of contentment where you can hear God and start the journey afresh. So this is probably the most important thing I could share with you tonight. I want to ask you some questions to help you apply it let's just apply it to our lives as we close Uh, first question is this and it has to be asked do you really want to know what God thinks about stuff I think God's speaking to us all the time and I think God wants to be known I think he wants his will to be known I think the difference is that sometimes we don't have our antennas up and the reason we don't have our antennas up is because we don't really want to know because the fact is we already know because if you didn't already know uh, why are you not happy to listen to it in other words we already know that we're not walking in step with him and so we try and turn the radio off so that the static doesn't annoy us 
But if you want to know, God is speaking all the time. Just come to a place of surrender, place of stillness in your own heart, and you'll hear from heaven. The Bible says, I'll be found when you seek me with all your heart. It's that simple. So hearing from heaven is not hard. You've just got to want it. Second thought is, do you quiet your heart before making big decisions? Are you listening for his voice or is it just like, yeah, I'm just running through that set of traffic lights because from back there the lights looked green? Or when you come to major transition points in your life, do you still your heart to go, let's just before we leap, let's just make sure God's in this. Let's just make sure, you know, I told a story this morning of our ministry journey and the fact is we would be out of church if we hadn't stopped to listen to God's voice in a particular situation. And, and this is a simple question. Hey, do you still your heart before big decisions in life and just make sure, make sure God's on board with it? Are you able to find contentment where you're at? And, and, and I'm not saying a determination to stay where you're at. I'm just saying that if you want to launch into anything different, the only, only posture to have is one of contentment so you can actually hear from heaven. We are so tempted to make decisions out of frustration, out of anger, out of opportunity, whatever it is that pulls us into the future. But actually, this ability is what safeguards you from that. Are you able to find contentment, still your heart, so you're not driven, you're led. Here's another question. I've got one more. When you pray, are you asking God to reveal his will or to confirm yours? When you pray, are you asking God to reveal his will or to confirm yours? In other words, I've already made the decision, Lord, and I'm sure you're on board with it. Aren't you? Tell me you're on board with it. Just one more look at that colour brochure. Yes, you're on board with it, I know. Last question. When was the last time you pushed against your own desires and made a faith-based decision that was contrary to natural preference? When You know, when it, it might not have seemed to have made sense, but you just believe God was in it, so I'm headed that way. It might have even been a decision where it's like, this is going to cost me, or this is going to hurt, or, you know, maybe I'm going to miss an opportunity that's presenting right now, but I just don't believe God's in it, and you've gone and you've made a decision based on what you believe the Spirit's saying to you rather than your own natural preference. And, and I ask that question because if you, if you can identify that you do that, you've got a really healthy heart. You are positioned really well to actually hear from heaven and for God to guide you and to lead you. And so that's that. I said this this morning and I'll finish with this quote and I don't know where I got it from. It's ages old. Um, But Sue and I have lived this principle and experienced this principle all of our married life, 29 years now. And that is that God's provision is strategically placed on the pathway of obedience. God's provision, supernatural provision, the God thing, the abundant life Jesus talked about, everything that that means, it's strategically placed on the pathway of obedience. And it's been amazing through our journey of life that through all the ups and downs and occasionally missing it and all the rest, 
when we keep our hearts soft and directed towards we really just want to do your will, we just keep bumping into the provision of God everywhere along the track. And generally, it's bigger than what we thought. Generally, it's more amazing than what we thought. Generally, they're the moments in your life where you go, this can only be God. But it comes from determining to make supernatural decisions, determining to hear from heaven and and not just get sucked along by our own desires, but to actually make his kingdom a priority. Can I pray for us tonight? Would you stand with me and, and pray for us all? Um, you know, maybe as you've been listening here tonight, as a believer, you're really at a point of decision um, and you just are like, God, I just want to get this right. And I want you to reach out while I pray. And I had a real sense, you know, that even in speaking this, there'd be some people who had regrets that were like, well, some of those decisions have been made uh, and it's really hard to backtrack now. Um, But you know what? I I just think that God can meet you no matter where you're at and can even bring clarity to the messiest of situations when when your heart is really dedicated and open to him. So maybe you're facing a situation where it's like, oh man, this is a mess. Is it too late? It's never too late to invite Jesus into your world. So can I encourage you? Why don't you reach out and respond to? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. I just thank you for, for... your word i thank you for your desire to speak to us your very present reality in our lives your nearness to us even in this place tonight and father i thank you that you want to guide us you want to lead us you want to lead us around the pitfalls and into blessing that comes from your hand so i pray for all of us tonight myself included father for the courage for the determination for the softness, stillness, and the contentment of heart, for us to be able to rest a moment from our struggles and our striving and actually really allow you to take the wheel, really allow you to have our hearts, really allow you to speak into our lives. And not just tonight, Father, but right through this coming week, just and make your will known to us, your, your good, perfect, and pleasing will. Make it known to us. Make it known to our hearts. And I pray for the courage in all of us to follow through and make the decisions that may need to be made to do the actions that need to be done to pursue you. In Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just, just last group of people, you know, you might be here tonight and maybe following Jesus and trusting him has not been your story so far in your life's journey. Uh, And that's okay. That's really okay. But maybe tonight, as you've listened to me talk about a God who loves you, who's got life for you and only wants you to do well, maybe you're at a point where you're thinking, you know what? That's what I want. I know that's why I came to Jesus. I, I recognized I was lost and I needed someone to guide me out of the mess. That's why I gave my life to Jesus at 21 years of age. So you might be here tonight and feeling like you're in a similar place. You just want God in your life tonight. And that hasn't been your experience. Then in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer together. It's a prayer of commitment and dedication. And I'm going to invite you to join us in that. And also tonight, maybe it's been a while since you've really surrendered to Jesus. This will be your opportunity to surrender afresh as well. So just before we pray, and while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, 
Friend, if that's you, why don't you just take a step of faith and say, that's me, Pastor Chris. Just put your hand in the air right where you are. I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down again and we're going to pray together. Awesome. God bless you. That's awesome, mate. God bless you back here in this uh, last row, last couple of rows. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. God bless you all. Any others in this place, just before we close, before we pray together, and you just know, look, that's my point of the journey right here. Tonight's the night that I surrender to Jesus. Fantastic. Yep, God bless you, mate. I see your hand. That's awesome. 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 Okay. We're going to pray this together. And, you know, if you responded, that was a step of faith. And here's another step of faith is just make this prayer your own as we pray it together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. Amen. And I want to encourage you, if you're one of the people that made that decision tonight, that is a great decision. Follow through on it. And you'll find that God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. He'll walk with you. He'll speak to your heart. He'll lead you through life into an amazing, amazing adventure. And I'm really excited for you. So why don't we just encourage everyone who made a decision tonight. Just at a crossroads, making a quality decision. And... uh, Pastor James is going to tell us a little bit more about that. Thanks, everyone.